Welcome to the Say It Out Loud podcast. I'm your host, Vasavi Kumar. If you're eager to gain clarity, speak with unwavering confidence, and liberate those inner voices, you're in the perfect spot. My mission here is to empower you to break free, find fulfillment, and ignite your passion. You ready? It's time to say it out loud. I've put together a guide of my top 10 tested and proven to work practical strategies and habits to help bright women like you say no, set your boundaries right, live confidently, and build healthy relationships, starting with the relationship you have with yourself. This is a self-paced guide, and I can't wait for you to dig into it so you can start becoming your most confident self because she's in there waiting for you. Head to the link in my show notes or go to vasavikumar.com forward slash guide and grab it today. And it's so interesting, isn't it? Before you were saying, we feel like we're too much this, we're too much that. And yet underlying that too much is I'm nothing. I'm oh. not enough. I'm not enough, you know? And we, yeah. we veer between these two different poles of like, I'm too much, I'm too all over the place, I'm too big, I'm too loud, I have too many feelings to the other side of that, the other end of that is like, I'm just nothing. I'm completely worthless. And that fear of rejection is something that I relate to so, so strongly. That fear of being cast out and being alone and just destitute because I'm irrelevant because my presence brings nothing of use or value. Um, yeah, it's really interesting to hear you say that that's really common because I didn't realize that what I'm experiencing is something that so many of us experience. And isn't that so, so sad? And this constant need to kind of like prove ourselves. I think many highly driven people have that same root of like, I need to prove myself to, to earn my existence almost, you know. But if we can learn ways to give that to ourselves, I mean, that's just huge. Hello to my brilliant Being Human with Vasavi community. I'm your host, Vasavi Kumar, licensed therapist, confidence mindset expert, business strategist, and a first-generation Indian immigrant woman on a relentless mission to bring you simple and tangible actions and advice to help you step up your life and business. Get ready for unfiltered and unscripted conversations with some of the brightest and realest people I know in mental and emotional health, marketing, and business to help you get out of your head and get moving. I am super excited to share a few ways that you can work with me. You can learn more more about those at vasavikumar.com or on my Instagram page at my name is Vasavi. The first way to work with me is directly in a one-on-one VIP capacity. This is a very high-level, high-touch, personalized opportunity to dig deep with me by your side to excavate your limiting beliefs and work through whatever is stopping you from being, doing, and having anything you want. And you'll be taking a lot of action. The second way to learn from me and be surrounded by people who are committed to becoming the person they were born to be is through my membership community. Mind your own business. To join the community, head on over to VasaviKumar.com. And now it's time for another episode of the Being Human with Vasavi podcast. All right. For any of you out there who, let's just say, have a love-hate relationship with alcohol, and maybe you're in a place right now, right? It's, it's 2021. You are rethinking all the life choices and alcohol is one of those choices, right? That you're thinking about, like, do I actually need this? Does this actually bring value to my life? I am super excited for you to hear today's episode because listen, I'm going to be really honest with you. I've shared my journey and my journey in recovery with, from drugs and alcohol has been very rigid. And I needed that at that time. And I go into that in my conversation today with my guest, Ruby Warrington. Um, everyone's approach is different. There is no one size fits all to healing and recovery. And what worked for me may not work for you. So which was, which was for me, going to rehab, you know, uh, going through the 12 steps, working with the sponsor, right? For for some people, that might be a lot. For me, that's just what I needed. Um, so I'm excited to introduce you to my guest today, Ruby Warrington. Um, she is someone that I met through Instagram and I was on her podcast and now she's on mine. And we just are, we had a great conversation and I just can't wait to share it with you because if you've been thinking about like, do I really need to be drinking in my life? Or maybe you feel dissatisfied right now. Like, let's just be real. Maybe you're not happy in your job. You're not happy in your social life. You're just chronically dissatisfied. And there's no shame in admitting that. It's when you admit it, right? You can then do something about it. So, you know, being honest with yourself is the first step. And so we get into a pretty good conversation, very good conversation about why you 
changing your relationship to alcohol might actually be the key, uh, for you to really start to access that, um, fulfillment from within and really use like stepping back from alcohol for you to address a lot of the deep rooted pain that maybe you haven't had the space to explore. Right. Um, so we're, we're going to go deeper into that. Um, and really, I'm going to share a little bit about my own relationship to alcohol and what I've, you know, kind of where I'm at with it. I'm still sober, almost two years, you know, and I, I it's just, it's so interesting. I love having guests on the show who challenge my opinions or challenge my thoughts on things. And mostly like it, I'm doing it for you, right? Because I don't want it to just be like, oh, Vasavi's way is the only way to live because it's not at the end of the day. I want you to help yourself. And so my way of doing that is to share the people that I have in my life, the resources that I think can definitely help you and find a way that works for you. I like to be a conduit. You know what I mean? Trying to just show you different paths and you get to pick one and or pick as many as you want. So here's a little bit about my guest today, okay? Ruby Warrington is the voice behind the term Sober Curious, author of the 2019 book of the same title. Her work has, a, has spearheaded a global movement to reevaluate our relationship relationship to alcohol. Other works include Material Girl, Mystical World, The Numinous Astro Deck, and the upcoming Sober, Sober Curious Reset. Man, I can't speak today. But yeah, her book, The Sober Curious Reset, just came out two months ago. Um, so I'm definitely going to put that in the show notes. If you are looking to change your relationship to alcohol, she lays it out over the course of 100 days, right? So, And she has a great Facebook group that's thriving, and you can be a part of that as well. Um, she's founder of the Now Age lifestyle platform, The Numinous. And with 20 years experience as a lifestyle journalist, Ruby is also a sought after speaker, book doula, podcaster, and brand consultant. And she is known as a true thought leader in the modern wellness space. I am so honored to have her on the show today. Um, really hope you love the conversation and really get something out of it, which is obviously the goal for every episode. And for all the links, you can just go right in the show notes or um, in the blog on the blog, wherever you're listening to this. But Know that if you have any questions, I am here for you. Reach out to Ruby. She's accessible on her Instagram. Send her a message. Uh, let her know you love this episode. And if you love today's episode, make sure you're subscribed, share it with a friend, and leave a five-star review. Let's get into it. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Being Human with Vasavi podcast. It's me, your beautiful, lovely, and brilliant host, Vasavi. And I am here with my beautiful, brilliant, and lovely guest, Ruby Warrington, author of Sober Curious Reset, which is a follow-up book, Ruby, right, to your original book, Sober Curious. Yes, and thanks for that lovely intro, Vasavi. <laughs> oh, my God. That's, yes, that's, so, that's how I feel about you. Sober Curious came out um, two years ago, like two years ago now kind of thing. I was in deep promo for Sober Curious. Um, and this is uh, the official kind of follow-up to that book. And it sort of takes all of the philosophy around a new approach to drinking that I laid out in Sober Curious and shows you very kind of in a very prescriptive way, like how you can actually apply that to your life. So the idea is that the new book guides people through 100 days of not drinking. It's I love a specific that. thing. 100 days. Okay. I was going to ask you uh, a first question, but you just got me thinking, why is it a hundred days? Why, why did you pick the number 100? Well, it's interesting. Honestly, it just came to me. Okay. I originally wanted to call it the hundred day reset. And then we took 100 out of the actual title because we thought that might be a little bit intimidating for people. A yeah. hundred days sounds like quite a long time, right? We think about it in business terms, like your first, first 100 days are when you're really going to make an impression and kind of like turn stuff around. Um, but yeah, 100 days, it just kind of came to me intuitively. But then I did some sort of backtrack and did some actual research around it. And I think we already know there's loads of initiatives now around like taking a month off drinking. People might have heard the, the kind of um, mythology that it takes 40 days to change a habit. We're sort of into this terminology. Um, but with 100 days, what I actually learned is that in Chinese medicine, they say it takes 100 days for your jing, which is your kind of like life force energy to fully replenish itself and for all the cells in your body to be fully re replenished and obviously that's a kind of ongoing process but you could think about it almost as like the last time you had a drink it kind of takes a hundred days for that to get fully 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 out of your system and that's also backed up by scientific kind of like western science like on a on a hair test it takes 90 days for the last traces of alcohol to show up in your hair since you last had a drink. 
So yeah, that kind of, it's a little bit more than three months, right? Three months would be 90 days. And I think, and you'll know about this, you know, you're so good at the sort of motivational stuff, but it's often that extra 10% after you think you've given it all, giving it another 10%, you really kind of like seal the deal. So I think there are multiple ways of thinking about this 100 days. But for me, for anybody who's really serious about changing their drinking and not just taking doing like a detox, which is, I think, sometimes how people approach something like dry January. This is a really solid period of time when you can actually get to the, get down to the real nitty gritty of what's going on with your drinking. I love that you said that extra 10 percent. And I, I um First of all, thank you for that compliment. I appreciate that. <laughs> and and, and I, I could not agree with you more because I remember when I went to rehab and I know our journey with, you know, and for me, it was a drug addiction and alcohol, mostly cocaine, though. I mean, alcohol was always kind of like it was there, but it wasn't like my go to. Um, I remember my counselor saying it's, you know, the first 90 days of recovery are the hardest. So like when I set a goal, Ruby, I don't think in terms of 30 days or 60 days, I'm like three months, right? That's a quarter of the year. So like that's yeah. that's so I love that. I love that. I love your why behind that because it's just that that that's just that little tip extra to kind of seal the deal you know what I mean yeah so not not because like we want to make it harder for you or you've got to like prove yourself more but honestly like doing that extra 10% is when you'll surprise yourself and you'll be like wow I'm actually so much stronger and more of a badass than I ever gave even gave myself credit for and that can be so motivating to be able to carry that sense of achievement forward with you regardless of what you do with your drinking after the reset I'm not saying that you know you have to quit completely or anything but what I am saying is you why not gift yourself this period of time like a season of your life right one season of your life to get really clear about why you're using alcohol or other substances or even behaviors the way you are and what's at the root of it and how could you perhaps change that going forward let's take a quick break having been in therapy since the age of 12 i know firsthand just how powerful the process of finding the right therapist is Going to therapy and talking things out with my therapist has made me happier, clearer, and most importantly, I have a plan for my mental health. I have tools to be able to communicate with others and also the tools to cope when life gets hard, which it does. So let me ask you a question. Is something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals? Regardless if you have a clinical mental health issue like depression or anxiety, or if you're just a human who lives in this world who is going through a hard time, Therapy can give you tools to approach your life in a very different way. And that's why I'm excited to tell you about today's sponsor, BetterHelp. BetterHelp's mission is to make therapy more affordable and more accessible. And this is an important mission because finding a therapist can be really hard, especially when you're limited to the options in your area. BetterHelp is a platform that makes finding a therapist easier because it's online, it's remote, and by filling out a few questions, BetterHelp can match you to a professional therapist in as little as a few days. It's easy to sign up and get matched with the therapist. There's a link in my description. It's betterhelp.com forward slash Vasavi. That's betterhelp.com forward slash Vasavi. Clicking that link helps support this podcast, but it also gets you 10% off your first month of BetterHelp so you can connect with the therapist and see if it helps you. And because finding a therapist is a little like dating, if you don't really fit with that therapist, which is a common thing with therapy, you can easily switch to a new therapist at no additional cost without stressing out about insurance, who's in your network, or anything like that. I don't know where I would be without the help of therapy and my therapist, but I do know that life would feel that much harder. So if you're struggling, consider online therapy with BetterHelp. Click the link in the description or visit betterhelp.com forward slash Vasavi. Thank you again, BetterHelp, for supporting this podcast. I feel like crying when you say that, because when you said, give yourself a chance this season just to see it, you know, I know when I, when I had to think about, you know, stop using cocaine or stop drinking, I thought something was being taken away from me. Mm. I, that was just my mentality back then. Mm. Right. Cause that was my crutch. When I look back on it, I'm like, holy crap, the best thing I could have done is to remove that from my life so I can get to the root cause of my pain mm. that I've been trying to use, you know, cocaine and alcohol as a salve. So I want to dig into your drinking story. Mm. When did you start? When did it become like to the point where maybe you felt helpless and powerless over it? So I'm from the UK and I kind of always preface these conversations by saying that I think that many people know that the UK has a really kind of like deeply entrenched drinking culture. It's like literally anytime we're not working, we're drinking, which is similar. <laughs> it's kind of similar. 
kind of similar in the US. I feel like um, it's more of a kind of slow and steady constant drip in the UK. And perhaps there's more of a binge drinking culture here in the US. But regardless, they're both heavy drinking societies where alcohol is very much interwoven into the social fabric. And I say all of that. I mean, drinking was I had my first sips of alcohol at my parents' dinner table when I was like nine, 10 years old. You know, it wasn't like it was banned they weren't encouraging me to drink but it certainly wasn't like a big taboo thing like I was going to have this massive blow up when I turned 18 um but then I suppose I started drinking regularly meaning buying alcohol and sort of using it on a regular basis around age 15 which I think is fairly typical for I mean it was certainly typical among my friend group that's the kind of age that people started having parties and going to clubs and all of that kind of stuff And I didn't immediately fall in love with it. I thought it was um, a lot of fun, you know? Yeah. (laughs) I was always very shy and reserved and kind of like really studious at school. So it helped me feel a bit more kind of like I was one of the cool popular kids. Mm -hmm. And for me, that was the real, that was the real allure. I think that I felt like my, you know, book loving kind of straight A student wasn't particularly sexy or cool or attractive to boys. And that if I could loosen up a bit, which alcohol helped me do, then I would be more appealing in general (laughs) and just kind of all around cooler, you know. Mm -hmm. And that in a way, I mean, it stayed with me. I always used alcohol to feel more cool in situations where I felt like the kind of dorky girl, you know, I wanted to be the cool girl. That was like part of the root of it for me. And how did that manifest? I I came to rely on it heavily in my 20s. I didn't really drink much through college. It's kind of a whole other long story, but I was in a very um, controlling and quite emotionally abusive relationship at the time. And my boyfriend was completely anti-alcohol, but he was a big weed smoker. So I just replaced alcohol with weed for that whole period of my life, which actually just had the opposite effect. It made me even more withdrawn and even quieter and more introverted, um, which wasn't great for me in terms of my social life, but I did do really well in college. <laughs> I think partly because I didn't drink at all during college. But um, when I left him, it coincided with me kind of finishing university and I really fell heavily into the drinking culture. I went straight into a career in media, which is mm. a very alcohol-saturated industry. Um, and yeah, my and drinking was very much kind of interwoven with success at work. It was like interwoven with networking. If you could stay out as late as the boys, then you were seen as kind of being one of us kind of thing. And so drinking in my 20s and 30s became very interwoven in my career and the social life that kind of spun off from my career in journalism. And then it was around age 35, so about eight, nine years ago, that I started to question the toll that my drinking patterns, my drinking habits were taking on my overall well-being. I hadn't ever had any serious issues with drinking. I didn't drink every day. I never craved to drink in the morning. It was very much confined to social life, social experiences, but that was still like four or five nights a week. That's was, a lot. That's five <laughs> nights a week. Exactly. I was yeah. still, well, maybe a three, four, I was still having kind of like two plus drinks and a, and a bit of a binge at the weekends, but still it didn't look like what I considered alcoholic drinking. Because I looked, everyone I else thought, was doing it and everyone else, you had people to do it with. Drinking the same. And most people I knew actually drank more than me. I was kind of like one of the sensible ones because I am really studious and I really mm-hmm. like to meet my deadlines and I care about all that stuff. So, you know, I was definitely not the most um, rowdy drinker of my crew for sure. But yeah, also I just had a really kind of limited idea about what alcoholic drinking or problem drinking looked like. And it looked like, you know, someone waking up in the gutter covered in their own vomit after yet another night out of binge drinking. And that just hadn't ever been me. I never had blackouts. It just wasn't quote unquote that bad. Um, But I began to question it after I just noticed that I was feeling anxious all the time, tired all the time, wired all the time, often on the verge of tears in the office, just feeling like I couldn't really cope with everything. And then just this growing sense of like, what is life actually about? Like just a general sense of sort of dissatisfaction and a lack of meaning in my life, actually. And I began to slowly kind of hone in on alcohol, perhaps being a cause, a part of this. What do you know? Like, <laughs> hey, <laughs> what's the thing that but I'm doing laugh, most regularly? Right, but we yeah. laugh about it. But because it's the idea that alcohol is part of, is how we have fun. It's how we relax and unwind. It's how we find connection. 
we have all these positive associations with alcohol. I think it can take quite a long time for someone who doesn't necessarily see their drinking as problematic to, to join the dots and be like, actually, maybe it's the alcohol that's making me feel like crap, you know? So one thing that I'm glad that you highlighted, um, because what I want to ask you next is, you know, what led you to think differently about drinking? Did you have a rock bottom moment? I want mm. my audience to hear this. You don't nest like with me, right? I literally lost everything. Like I had had a miscarriage. I got arrested. I mean, like it was like all the things, like it was just li- like ran out of money, like just everything. What I love about what you shared. And I, I, I actually find your story to be very powerful because it's like people think that you have to lose everything or have this, you know, laying in your vomit story to then decide maybe I need to uh, change my relationship to alcohol. You didn't have that. You didn't, it doesn't sound like you had like a rock bottom, like, but it was more like an acute level of dissatisfaction, chronic dissatisfaction, Mm -hmm. and also just a high level of awareness, I would say, because you were aware of the fact that you were dissatisfied. Mm -hmm. So what, what was the point? Did you have a moment or was it a series of moments that led you to be like, hmm, maybe I need to look at this. Maybe I need to look at my relationship with it. It was a series of moments over probably a, a couple of years. And it's interesting. I was thinking about this the other day. I think it's actually much harder to stop drinking if you don't have a problem. Yes. But you're describing a situation where you had to stop. Mm-hmm. For most, for, for, I'm going to say the most of us, but like for the majority of drinkers who don't get to that point of like, I'm losing everything, you don't have to stop. So why would you? Because this is your ticket to bliss. This is your ticket to relaxation, fun, enjoyment. So it took a long time of me actually kind of going, wait, hold on. My actual experience here isn't mirroring what I know about alcohol. Mm-hmm. I know that it makes me feel like shit. I know that even if I have a couple of glasses of wine, I have two days of feeling guilty and feeling yes. like awful about it afterwards. I know actually that that's eating away a huge chunk of my self-esteem, my time, my concentration, my focus, my creativity, my enthusiasm for life. But because the messaging was so against what I was actually experiencing, I had to kind of like, it's like I was being gaslighted by alcohol. I had to basically kind of trust, learn to trust myself so much that I was willing to go, no, I'm going to step back because of course, a lot of what I call FOMA steps up when we Mm -hmm. choose to step out of the drinking culture especially if, again, it's not a have to because people don't have sympathy for you. They don't say, oh, yeah, we completely understand. They say, what, you you weirdo, you idiot, why would you do that? It's what's wrong with you. (laughs) Yeah. We don't want to invite you to our parties anymore. Like there's a lot of fear around being socially outcast if you're choosing to step out of the drinking culture. People feel like you're judging them and their drinking choices, even though you make it entirely clear that this is only, this is just something I'm doing for myself, you know? I've had a few, I've had a few friends. Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. (laughs) Well, no, I was just going to say it took a long time. And and in terms of, did I have a rock bottom? It was only kind of like looking back a couple of years later after I'd really got out of that drinking cycle. And I was able to pinpoint a couple of incidents where it was like, that should have been my wake up call. There's one that I write about in the beginning of the Sober Curious book where I just had like a nasty fall. I won't go into all the details, but I fell over drunk one night and I really hit my head and my head was bleeding and I didn't go to the ER. I just like asked for a whiskey because I was like, that'll make me feel that's medicinal or something. And I honestly, I think back to that, depending on what kind of like mood I'm in, how deeply I'm able to go back to that moment. It makes me feel so nauseous. I'm sickened at how close I came to like seriously injuring myself in that situation a has a fraction of a difference that night and I might it might have been the rock bottom that led to me having to quit drinking but it didn't and I know so many people who've got similar stories of what we call disco damage mm-hmm. who often will just laugh that stuff off oh that was a sign of a good night what a funny story and I just the bravado around that kind of damage that we do ourselves when we're drinking is also I think really scary well, I mean, it, it makes sense that that wasn't your pivot moment, right? Because immediately after you almost cracked your head open or, you know, started bleeding, you went, you went and reached for a whiskey rather than, right? And that's just your default at that point. Oh, if something painful happens, reach for that drink. So no wonder you dealt with that situation the way you de- you know, dealt with everything else. Oh, I'm uncomfortable. I'm in pain. Let me get that whiskey. So that's why. You know, I, because everyone I was with, I was alone. I was uh, had people around at my house. Everyone was with, oh my God. Oh, are you okay? Like shock horror. Ah, oh, she seems fine. Everyone else just get back to partying. You know, it's like just a general lack of awareness around what's actually going on because we're out of it, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah. I'm I'm really happy that you said, I, I think the thing that everyone kind of is confronted with when they do want to stop drinking or they take a step back, people are like, other people feel judged, right? Because, because yeah. they, because, but here's, here's, here's what I think. This is, this is my, my, uh, maybe unpopular opinion. And I say this to people who've been drinking for a while. And if they're considering not drinking, I go, listen, we were not born needing to get drunk. We were, we were, we were lively children who found joy in the littlest things in life. And like Laura McCowan posted this on her feed the other day, um, not allowing ourselves to fully express joy and experience joy, um, then results in us always foreseeing tragedy, right? Because stuff happens in childhood where we don't, we don't use alcohol to deal with our issues. Like at a, at a young age, right? That's the job of our parents to provide us with that security. Mm-hmm. But when we don't have that, you know, and then let's just say from a young age, like you were, you know, being introduced to alcohol from a young age, even though your parents weren't like drink Ruby, you know what I mean? <laughs> we find this these instant around. fixes. We find these instant fixes. And I think like, I, I do think people feel ashamed when um, they have like people in their lives who are trying to stop drinking because I think deep down, like deep, deep, deep down, even though we can justify it and it's so glamorized, we know that we're not treating ourselves well. Mm-hmm. Every time we wake up with a hangover, we promise mm-hmm. ourselves we're not going to do it. I, I, I give the benefit of the doubt to all human beings. It's like, you know, you're not being kind to yourself when you do that. So of course they feel ashamed. Of course you're a threat in a way because you're disturbing their paradigm of what's normal with exactly. alcohol. Yes, you stepping outside of that and choosing something different just shines a light and turns up the volume on how they're using it. And I honestly, I have to remind myself of that. Like, since the lockdown, I'm based in New York now, and we've had obviously the outdoor dining thing has been huge here. And so it's just really like brought out into kind of like plain view how much drinking people do in restaurants and bars. I'm just like, yeah. this is constant. It's a constant drip feed. And sometimes, you know, I'll be like, oh, God, did I have to be so hard on myself? Like, isn't that just kind of fun way to relax and socialize? Mm-hmm. What we don't ever see, what we don't see on the street outside. Imagine if everyone in the morning they were hungover came and stood outside on the street and was just like, had their head in their hands. and was. <laughs> we yeah. don't see that side of it. People don't put that part on social media. And so I have to, I remind myself often that for every drinking occasion, there is that equal and opposite feeling of just, Ter- feeling terrible basically so I kind of remind myself of that anytime I'm like why am I doing this again if I need reminding um but yeah I do think it shines a light on how we actually use alcohol and the fact that people feel so judged or so perhaps ashamed of mm-hmm. their drinking when you're not is because they know that there's something dysfunctional happening I and mean, it's interesting you say that about childhood like I sucked my thumb from like a really young age and I've spoken to kind of therapists since who are like, yeah, that's a really early way that we learn to self-soothe. As soon as I could read, I was one of the first kids in my class who could read. I always had my head in a book, you know? I remember on one vacation, I read like seven novels in a week and everyone would praise it. Like, wow, you're so studious. You're such a good kid. But I know I, I, I was dissociating. Like there was, mm. I was kind of getting out of it in books, you know? So I think mm-hmm. that that was, and then- I had an eating disorder in my teens. So it just kind of, you know, there's, for me, there's like always been something. So removing the alcohol actually made me look at my whole life and all the different ways that I've used to not feel the way I'm feeling or to not feel things I don't know how to feel or don't feel I have the kind of capacity to feel, you know? So it's been a really big journey of self-discovery. Absolutely. I mean, it, a lot of times when we think about the journey within, we are we are so vast and we're so, there's so many layers to us and we're so complicated. We are, we're complicated beings and that's okay. <laughs> we but really it, are. Sometimes you just got to remove, like, listen, even if it's not the alcohol, but I'm going to say, you know, remove the alcohol because that's probably the most mind altering substance that you're putting in. Mm-hmm. Allow yourself to just remove that. And then you can start to shine a light on those other areas of your life. For me, it was cocaine and alcohol. Then I saw my relationship with men. Oh my God, like needing male validation, always having been in a relationship almost now for the past 20 years, finally single on purpose, Ruby, my girl. I love it. I'm, I'm not looking right now. I'm like, God has a plan. I don't care. But it's like really looking at every area of my life, looking at how I spend money, looking at how I talk to myself. Like, and this is over the course of almost two years of being sober. For me, that was, I, I love that you said that because 
it's so easy to look at ourselves and be like, oh, I'm so much. I'm too much to deal with. It's like, well, why don't you actually allow yourself to fully experience all of you without having to numb it? Because every time you reach for that drink, what you're telling yourself is, I can't handle myself. I can't handle pain. Of course you believe you're too much. Yes, exactly. I love that. The way you shone a light, that's such a good way of framing it. I hadn't even really thought about it like that. I often talk about how anytime that we outsource our confidence, our sense of peace, our sense of tranquility, our um, emotional capacity, our capacity to feel, sometimes we, we drink to kind of like think we're letting the emotions out, right? If, if yeah. it leads to yeah. us having yeah. a good cry or like yeah. a good talk with someone, but it's not really the same thing at all. Um, anytime we outsource that to alcohol, we're telling ourselves, I can't do this for myself, which is just undermines our confidence ultimately in our self-esteem and yeah, our sense of self so I think you're absolutely right allowing ourselves to be with the whole the totality of who we are is just so incredibly fulfilling and enriching and we soon realize we're not too much we're absolutely just enough you know (laughs) yes and we have the ability to handle all of it Mm -hmm. but we got to give ourselves that space and the time so I I okay I cannot wait to ask you this next question because I think we both have a lot to talk about with this uh and I want to share a little bit like I would love to hear your thoughts on this actually so Mm. what is your current relationship to alcohol so I currently consider myself to be a non-drinker I don't call myself sober Mm -hmm. and that's partly how I why I came up with the term sober curious because sobriety and being sober has such kind of like extensive roots in the recovery community people associate it very strongly with 12-step recovery which is amazing and hard one for people who are really at that kind of more deeper end of the spectrum of addiction I talk about spectrum of addiction a lot I think we're all addicted to something um by degrees and finding yourself on that spectrum could also be interesting but um yeah so I describe I think of myself as a non-drinker And I'm not entirely 100% abstinent. And that's evolving for me. Like in this past year, it's funny, it's like the 21st of December or something. Mm -hmm. I feel like I had a drink almost a year ago because it was just before Christmas. I was on vacation. And my husband now doesn't drink completely. He is sober. Mm -hmm. And um, we were on vacation and there was this really cool rooftop bar in the hotel we were staying in. And we decided to go up there and like just check it out. And And he said to me out of the blue, he was like, you know, if you wanted to have a drink, I wouldn't mind. Like if you wanted to like have a beer or something and I hadn't even thought about it, which I never thought I'd be the person who would go on vacation and just not even think about drinking. Like that was one of the drinking occasions I held on to for the longest, but I hadn't even thought about it. And then he was like, have a beer if you want, because he said it, I was like, okay, I'm going to have a beer. (laughs) Yeah. And I remember sitting there and I drank half a Corona and I started to feel kind of dizzy and everything started to go a bit kind of I started to feel like everything was drawing away from me. I started to feel myself separating from everything and it just didn't feel nice. And I was like, "Mm -mm, no, I don't want this. So I left half of it. So that's kind of like, when I talk about like, I'm not hundred percent abstinent, that's kind of my version of drinking now. So, (laughs) mm -hmm. so, so yeah, I kind of, um, I don't, I haven't closed the door on alcohol completely because for me as a kind of perfectionist person. And again, another reason I drank was to kind of like let myself off the hook from having to get everything right yes be right and like achieve but anyway I think for me having it very black and white and having it kind of set up as like if I take a drink I have failed it's kind of setting myself up for a failure I'm I'm allowing myself a little bit of kind of space to kind of mess up and Mm -hmm. it'd be okay you know yes have that labeled like a relapse or a failure on my part I don't do a day count because I'm like I don't want to be back at day one because I, because of that situation I just described, that feels completely unfair. <laughs> Ruby, you know? I, just, I just want to say, I, first of all, I have so many thoughts on this. So yeah, there's such a, I, there's a feeling inside of me as you're talking right now, right? So here's the feeling I use sober and you say non-drinker and I, I really relate to what you're saying. Let me just say that. So when I hear sober, right. Um, and I think for, so for everyone listening, everyone's journey is different. There is mm-hmm. no right or wrong. So that's number one. For me, I had to have that rigidity. I needed to. Vasavi Kumar was off the wall. Like I needed rigidity and so much structure. So holding on to this word sober for me was like a... It, 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 for, I would say it was a badge of honor for me. It was the, mm-hmm. it was the best thing that I could have done for myself. Hey there, this is Vasavi and my membership community, Mind Your Own Business, is the official sponsor of the Being Human with Vasavi podcast. Have you been looking for a community of people who get you, who think like you, and who are determined 
to becoming the person they were born to be. I'm talking no fluff, direct, real, and a raw community of people who are open-minded and willing to be honest with themselves and be the ultimate creators of their own life. Then I'm inviting you to join my subscription-based membership community, Mind Your Own Business, a community of people who you can turn to, to seek insight from, and give back to. And I'll be there by your side, leading bi-weekly, monthly membership calls that'll get you inspired, motivated, and on fire to go after anything you want. Join today by heading over to VasaviKumar.com. Let me tell you, I would love to hear your thoughts on this. Where I'm at now, almost two years sober, coming up in March, I think this this is probably going to air in March. Mm -hmm. March 26th will be two years. And... There, I've, I've had this feeling. I'm like, man, like I would just love like a nice glass of Malbec. You know, I'd love a nice glass. I've, I've been thinking about it. I have. And I don't think I've ever shared this with my audience. So I'm just, you guys are hearing this for the first time. I've been thinking about it, right? And what, what I noticed in my head is exactly what you just said. It was like, oh, but if I have a drink, then all my sobriety goes out the window. And then I'm back to day one. And then like, is this a slip? Is this a relapse? And I'm like, holy God. But what I will say is this, the Vasavi two years ago that needed to do 90 meetings in 90 days, that needed to check in with her sponsor, that needed to go through the 12 steps. I needed that. I don't regret mm. it. It was mm. great for me to stay away from the drug addict boyfriend, the cocaine, the drug dealers. Like, but now there is such a level of, th- this is what's changed. Tell me if this has happened with you. Maybe that's why you had half a Corona. Mm. I have so much trust in myself now. I don't worry anymore. Man, if I have a glass of wine, am I going to have a bottle and then go buy a bag of cocaine? I don't even think like that anymore. So I'm wondering, and I love that you say the spectrum of addiction. Maybe back then, I had so many unhealed issues that that's what that's that was my chemical makeup back then. That's how I dealt with life. And now, giving myself a little more grace. And by the way, I haven't decided I'm going to go drink now, but I'm just thinking about it. I'm just thinking about. Vasavi, look at how far you've come. You've built your business back. You're writing a book. You have your podcast. You're interviewing. Like, you're doing great. You're taking care of your health. Are you really going to drink one glass of wine and then go off the wagon and get it back? Like, are it's just making me question, <laughs> like, am I re- You know what I mean? Like, what do you feel about what I'm saying right now? Because I, I, I hope I'm making sense. When, you are absolutely making sense. I guess I have lots of... First of all, I will say I can only speak to my path. I only know myself, my brain, my path, my tendencies. And so I know that my path works for me. And throughout Sober Curious, I'm always like, this is about you being really honest with yourself. What I would say you said you've been thinking about it and you've been thinking, oh, I'd love a nice glass of wine. I that would be a red flag to me. Wow. Why? Because you're you're still thinking about it. You're still perceiving it. This is going to be a pleasurable experience that means you're more likely to want to repeat it I think the times I would take a drink now if I found myself thinking about I'd love a glass of wine I'd love a glass of wine I know there's something else that's going you need this for a certain reason whereas that situation I described it was completely out of the blue it was like oh yeah I suppose I could do that or wonder what it would be like so it was completely neutral there was no desire attached to it whatsoever and there was no emotion driving it. You know what? I, I want to say this because today I think I think you would love to celebrate this with me. I often, you know, any what, what I learned in rehab was like, the, what what was the feeling that the drug provided me? What was the feeling that alcohol provided me? For me, it's always just like you, Ruby. It was like letting myself off the hook just a little bit. Like, you know, I'm such a perfectionist, white knuckle grip life. I've learned to chill. I have more chill in my life now than I think. But what I realized I was always seeking was that thrill. It was like the thrill of it, right? It was just like, and the letting looseness that we get. And what I did today was I booked a trip to Keystone, Colorado. Uh, Single girl's trip, me, just me, single girl meeting this single girl right here. Four days, beautiful condo with the fireplace. I'm taking ski lessons. I'm snow tubing. I'm snowmobiling. And I'm like, it's funny because you say like, oh, you're seeking the the pleasure of it, right? Right, like you're. It's so driven by pleasure, and I think but what a desire that that was the desire. But I that, but I I love that this is coming up today that I'm interviewing today because like the thrill that I had when I finally booked my trip, I said to myself, this is better than any drug. <laughs> Booking this trip, so I think I it's that. often we think the alcohol will give us that or the drug will give us that, but if we really think look deeper, what is the actual feeling we're after? 
Exactly. Yeah. I completely agree with you. Yeah. And I often talk about that. And that was one of the other things I was going to say. It's like, okay, so if you're thinking it would be nice to have a glass of wine, then ask yourself why. Why would it be nice to have that wine? If it's the taste and the flavor, there's some great alcohol-free version wines out there now. You could definitely have one of those and probably enjoy that experience and find and be like, great, I can have an alcohol-free wine. Who knew? Now yeah. I don't need it to, for, even for the taste. But if it's for because I want to feel more relaxed, if it's because of wanting to change the way you feel in any way, shape or form, then I would say that is a bit of a red flag. You did say something else, though, which I think is really important to consider. Mm -hmm. There's a big difference between getting quitting drinking and kind of just just quitting and not doing the inner work to quitting drinking as an intentional way of I'm actually going to now go inside and look at what's been going on underneath. I think the longer you spend doing that inner work, the less likely you are to use alcohol or anything else addictively again in the future. Mm. Because ultimately, yes, part of alcohol addiction, dependency, part of alcohol cravings, part of alcohol abuse is about medicating something that is often an un some kind of unhealed trauma. And I use probably small t trauma when I speak about myself. Mm -hmm. I mean, there are some bigger things too, like having an eating disorder and being in an abusive relationship is no joke, but it's not like, you know, losing my whole family in a car accident or something which we might think about as a bigger trauma, life trauma. Um, so I think, yeah, oftentimes we use these substances as a way of medicating some unresolved kind of emotional baggage around these different knocks that we've experienced in life. But then with a substance like alcohol, we also have to be extra careful because it's physically highly addictive. It's one of the five most addictive substances that there is physically. It's as addictive as smoking. Mm -hmm. It's as addictive as cocaine. It's as addictive as heroin. So it's we, we think about it as very innocuous because it's so widely available and because people use it so, so widely. Mm -hmm. But actually, we can't forget that it is a very addictive substance. And so if we're feeling any kind of like attachment to it still it's probably still a good idea to just not go there and to find substitutes like I love all of the alcohol-free drinks that are coming onto the market and the two years since I launched Sober Curious this whole industry has sprung up there's amazing alcohol-free craft beers now which I love I have one most days they're just delicious there's alcohol-free wines which people have been asking about for years and now they're finally making some decent wines there's a great alcohol-free Prosecco lots of alcohol-free spirits and for me, those have been really helpful for when that kind of craving has kicked in, almost mm. as like a placebo effect to just kind of get me through that weekend or like get like we're coming up to the holidays as we're recording this, but like to get through the holidays and sort of manage those physical cravings, they can be really helpful, I think. I and I and I'm glad that you highlighted the using you know, stepping away from alcohol as an access point to then do the inner work. I mean, you, you know, in the uh, big book in AA, they talk about being a dry drunk, which is, you know, you may not be right. drinking, but you're still grumpy, cynical, and you haven't done anything within to really reestablish that connection to your inner child, right? So yeah. every time you drink and you, you know, having process addictions and, you know, addictions are a function of being disconnected to your inner child. So I'm mm -hmm. glad that you highlighted mm -hmm. that. So for anyone listening, you know, I, I know you listen to the podcast and you love the guests that we I have on because it, it helps you kind of look within. And so just being curious about, hmm, what would my life look in the next hundred days if I just stepped away from alcohol? And I love Ruby's approach. I love your, I mean, I, I love your approach of just like stepping away to allow yourself to look within and not have any you know, distractions. Alcohol is a distraction, yeah. it's right? A it's a distraction. It's a oh massive distraction. It's so funny. We feel like it kind of like helps us feel more connected to other people sometimes, but actually it's just like, we're sort of, we're sort of vacating the building when we drink. We're not really yeah. fully there, you know? And I think with anyone who's had any kind of blackout, like I said, I never had like full on blackouts, but many mm -hmm. a night when I couldn't remember what on earth I've been speaking to someone about for four hours, like so intensively what did we talk about again like what a waste of words oh my god probably the same thing on repeat like four times because I've been in conversations with people who are really drunk when I'm not and that's kind of what happens yes but well, um I, but yeah I with 100 days it gives you for each day there's like um a different question for you to consider and then it gives you a little bit of insight and then there's an exercise like a journaling exercise or just a kind of thought experiment that I ask you to to do with yourself mm -hmm. to really kind of help you answer these different questions. So spending a hundred days doing that, like you're going to have some really deep realizations about yourself and your life that go far beyond like your drinking habits, even though that's the kind of springboard into this self-inquiry. Because like you say, when you're going really deep, 
sometimes you're going to some really painful places and the temptation can be to take the edge off so that you don't really have to look at it or you don't have to really feel what's coming up. But actually feeling it all, as we started off by saying, you know, feeling it all, like really giving yourself permission to be there for yourself fully is the only way that we can process more difficult feelings, but also more difficult memories and situations in our lives. I don't want to speak for every human being, Ruby, but I got to say, I think what I have found across the board and just with the clients that I work with, women in business or women who are trying to start their businesses or build their businesses become more authentic in their marketing. The thing that I've just learned across the board, including my own personal life, like what we are running from and what we do not want to experience is like the deepest feeling of aloneness and loneliness and that we don't matter. We don't exist, right? We we are literally, it's kind of like if a tree falls in a forest, does anyone ever hear it? It's kind of like, well, if nobody knows that I X, Y, Z or did this, do, does it even count? If I don't share my happiness with someone else, it, it, do I even deserve to feel happy about it? Do you know what I mean? It's like the yeah. deepest, deepest feeling. Cause I think, you know, and like, and like people always ask me this as a licensed therapist, they're like, do I need therapy? And I'm like, did you have a childhood? <laughs> you had a childhood. You need therapy. I'll tell you right were now. You born? Yeah. Yeah. Were you born? Do you breathe? Yeah. Like, so I, I'm glad that like the deepest of the deepest pain. I, I know for me during my recovery, it was uh, definitely the feeling of like, the word that I use, because this is the word that I think is my biggest, like Achilles heel is useless. Like mm. I am, I'm a nobody and I am useless. And having to work through that without drugs, without alcohol, without a boyfriend, without, you know what I mean? Like without, and without making money, like I didn't have anything to mask that feeling. It literally just like, I'm naked. Okay. I'm naked. And I have to feel this. And like, I want, and I, I, I know it doesn't sound very attractive everyone, but like when you can sit with the feeling of utter uselessness and worthlessness and not have to numb it, you will become the strongest person you've ever met. Absolutely. No, no one can mess with you when, if you can sit with that and you can realize I am worth something, I, I do deserve to live. I do deserve to be happy. Like no one can take that away from you. Once you get to that, where you're like, even when I have nothing, I am something, nobody can take that away from you. That is incredible. And I completely relate to that. And it's so interesting, isn't it? Before you were saying, we feel like we're too much this, we're too much that. And yet underlying that too much is I'm nothing. I'm oh. not enough. I'm not enough. You know, we, we yeah. veer between these two different poles of like, I'm too much. I'm too all over the place. I'm too big. I'm too loud. I have too many feelings to... The other side of that, the other end of that is like, I'm just nothing. I'm completely worthless. And that fear of rejection is something that I relate to so, so strongly. That fear of being cast out and being alone and just destitute because I'm irrelevant, because my presence brings nothing of use or of value. Um, yeah, it's really interesting to hear you say that that's really common because I didn't realize that what I'm experiencing it's, is something that so many of us experience. And isn't that so, so sad? You know, and this constant need to kind of like prove ourselves. I think many highly driven people have that same root of like, I need to prove myself to, to earn my existence almost, you know, but if we can exactly like you say, if we can learn ways to give that to ourselves without anything, without reaching for anything to prove that we are worthy of this life. I mean, that's just huge. And I think that Jesus going through this, this pandemic has been such a test of that because we've been so separated from so many of the things that we have felt give us worth, you know, just kind of like even, even myself, I'm so, I love the work I do so much besides writing my own books. I work with other people like as a book doula to help them edit their books, write their books, publish their books, Mm. et cetera. And I have so many fantastic clients. I love all of their projects, but just the thing of like every day being the same, just wake up, work, (laughs) eat, Netflix, sleep, wait, work, eat, Netflix, sleep. It's a bit, I've, I've been feeling that. And I'm, my therapist says to me, you know, you're one of the lucky ones. You really do what you love. And I'm like, I do. And I'm so yeah. grateful for it. And if I, even I'm feeling this sense of just like, what's this actually all about? I know how challenging, I know how challenging this year has been for people. Yeah. But also, like you say, if you can, even in the most challenging of times, really be with yourself and commit to being with yourself and commit to being with those hard feelings, you will become invincible. Yeah, It always turns around. There's always a morning when you wake up and you're like full of beams again and everything is inspiring and you're just so happy to be alive. That always comes back. 
I'm yeah. so, I love that you said invincible because it is, it is a, uh, okay. So by the way, y'all, I'm trying not to curse these days because my older sister, who I respect very much, she goes, she calls me Vachi. That's our family's nickname. She goes, Vachi, I need you to stop cursing. It really dilutes your message. And I was like, all right, fine. I love my sister. I'll listen to her. Uh, but I, I'm sorry, I, I, but I am going to curse for this case. I'm going to say when you can learn to sit with yourself, right? You become unfuckwithable. Right. No one can. And like people ask, and I'm sure people ask you this, Ruby, like how you're able to just put yourself out there and grow this business and put you. And it's like when you know yourself, you do not care what anybody thinks of you because you know who you are, because if you've sat through your demons, even when you felt like doo doo and you haven't reached out for alcohol and you've learned to sit with yourself. We're kind of frozen. Is everything okay? I froze. Okay, you're back. Yeah. Okay, no, no, it's fine. Did you hear anything I said or was I? I heard you. So you basically went to, you become unfuckwithable. And then what you said after that. Yeah. Basically, the internet was like, no, you can't. You can't. No, we, we, oh, we're going to fuck with you. Yeah. So wait, let me just write down when this happened. Okay, this was at 40, 45 okay. minutes. Then. Um, so what yeah. I'm going to say is when you, you become unfuckwithable, right? Because if you yourself can deal with the ugliest parts of you that you hate, when like the, the parts of you that you loathe, and you can still in that moment not reach for anything, uh, uh, a nasty ex, uh, uh, you know, like a, you know, like a former codependent relationship, alcohol or anything, and you can just sit with it, you then you, you, you grow that strength from within. And so you don't care what anybody says, uh, says about you because you know who you are and you've seen yourself through the good, the bad and the ugly, man. It was so good before I froze Ruby. It was so good. What I was trying to say. It was so good. It's still so good. And I will add to that list of things for me, things that still show up are like online shopping. Mm-hmm. Oh man. I find myself, I've got, I realize I've got all these apps on my phone that just allow me to like shop. And I'll go there and in those moments of just feeling kind of like worthless. And it's such, I mean, the marketing messaging, it's all just there. It's brilliant. There's apps <laughs> off my phone. So online shopping, social media, those are things that I still kind of, are re- that are really kind of still crunchy for me sometimes. And mm-hmm. another thing I do want to say is like, please don't do this alone. Like, yes, it's okay to reach out to a friend in these moments. It's not like you have to do all this alone. Sometimes just talking it through with a friend, with a therapist is actually vital, a vitally important part of this. You know, it might be if you quit drinking in particular, people worry about how it's going to impact their friendship group. It might be that you go down from having like five or six friends that you feel are really close to maybe just one or two or even just one. And that's okay. Like quality over quantity when it comes to friendships, I think is also really important because a call with a kind of like gossipy surface friend when you're in one of those moments of wobble is just going to make it worse. Whereas even a few texts back and forth with someone, you know, really who really is there for you can just be a reminder of like, yeah, I'm still here, you know. I do know. And I, and what a gift people have by going through your book. So it's like, you know, they're not just going through, you know, letting go of alcohol for a hundred days. You have prompts, you have stuff that they can Mm -hmm. kind of work on. I I, Mm -hmm. I think it's a, it's a beautiful accompaniment, right? So for everyone listening, I'll make sure I put the link to buy Ruby's book, Sober Curious Reset. Do you recommend that people buy both books? Of course you're going to say yes, but I just want to. Yes, obviously. (laughs) You don't have to. You definitely don't have to. But um, Sober Curious, the original book, it's a really easy read. It's like a two day read you know people have read it in one sitting well you can listen to the audiobook as well and it really kind of lays out the whole philosophy of what it means to be sober curious and different ways to think about that and then the reset is more just bite-sized kind of bits of like how to actually apply it in your life but you can definitely you can do one or the other (laughs) yeah I I I, want to you know uh, for everyone listening y'all know that I always share my story with recovery and I just think what a great um what a great uh, experience to not have to go through this alone, right? And meeting up with other people who are maybe going through the same process. Do you have a community of people, Ruby, that people can yes. kind of reach out so to? There is a Sober Curious Facebook group where people awesome. are very actively sharing everything that comes up for them. They're all going to be working on the Sober Curious Reset from like January 1st together. Um, mm-hmm. So by the time this is out, they'll probably be kind of well into the work. But um mm-hmm. But yeah, it's people are just sharing general stuff that comes up. It can be really conversational. People go in there and use it as a kind of a confessional as well. Like this happened and they fucked yes. up and they get lots of support through that, you know. So, so yeah, that's a space to meet other, other sober curious people. And there's tons of great, I mean, we met on Instagram and as much as I, you know, definitely have to be careful of like not getting too sucked into it, um, that can be a great place to meet other people who are on this path as well, you know, and get inspiration. Absolutely. You know, it's funny because I uh, 
communities always kind of freak me out because I always feel like I'm going to be a wallflower. And then I created my own community in a way that I wanted to. So I think it's great that you you have a place where people can air their dirty laundry because secrets keep us sick, right? Yeah. So if you can share with other people, you realize you're not alone. You're not crazy. You're not weak for not, you know, for, for this. It's supposed to be hard. You've been, you know, and, and I don't ever want to sugarcoat stuff for people and be like, yeah, just walking away from the thing that you use to not deal with your pain is going to be simple. Like, no, you're literally feeling things that you have suppressed for years. Yes. Tens of twenties. of. I mean, I don't know how old you are, but it could be for decades. You've been suppressing feelings. It usually Um, is. Yeah. I, um, I, 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 this question came to me and I really want to ask this because you, I remember you said when I asked you about your drinking story and your journey, when you were younger, you were kind of nerdy and like booky and, you know, you, you know, you were not part of the cool crowd. I completely relate, by the way. I smoked my first cigarette when I was 12 so I could be part of the cool crowd. What I would love to know, I don't need to ask you how old you are, but if you had to go <laughs> back and tell the nerdy uh, bookworm Ruby what you know now, what would you tell her? I would tell her she's so smart. And not to dim her, her smartness and her curiosity for the sake of fitting in. God knows what she would have got on to do. I mean, I'm pretty proud of my life and my achievements. I've done some really cool shit and I think there's plenty more to come. But at the same time, like, I just kind of feel like, wow, you were, you were so smart. Like, just, just go with it. Go down those rabbit holes of research. Like, learn more about the world. Start writing books, like, earlier, you know? But that said, I'm also very much of the school of thought of no regrets. Like, I know I am who I am because of the sum of my experiences and all of the hard things that I went through are part of who I am now. And it's part of what I'm able to teach from as well, you know? I very much, my, my books are always written from a place of like, I'm in this with you. I'm mm-hmm. not pretending that I've got all the answers or I've reached some kind of like, yeah. you know, pinnacle of enlightenment. I'm like, I'm maybe just a few steps ahead of you. Here's what I'm learning. Here's what I've got for you, you know? And I think that, yeah, as much as I would love to have given, I would love to have given her more confidence. I would have loved to have said whatever I could to make her feel a bit more confident about in herself. She's, she had pretty low self-esteem, but, um, but yeah. I have a lot of love for her. <laughs> That's so sweet. I I felt I felt that just now as you were saying that, and I was thinking to myself, it's funny because you walking away and shifting your relationship to alcohol, giving yourself a fighting fair chance. It's like you've allowed her to fully shine. Look at how much you've done. Look at how much you've created, right? So it's like, you know, changing your relationship to alcohol in a way is probably the greatest gift you could have given her. It's like paying homage to your own inner child who's so talented. You're such an excellent writer. People love you. You're helping so many people. And I'm sorry to say this. You wouldn't have been able to do this if you hadn't stepped away from alcohol. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I would have been stuck in very much a lot of destructive cycles and a lot of destructive thoughts and a lot of low self-esteem. So I really do think, you know, I've written, I have a whole other project, The Numinous, that's all about kind of, you know, finding your spiritual path and the different tools you can, tools Mm -hmm. of of sort of spiritual self-discovery. And I honestly think out of everything I've discovered there, quitting drinking was probably the biggest, it's been the, it's been the, it's brought the most benefits into my life from a perspective of like personal development and knowing myself, you know? Sobriety, sobriety, and I, I know you don't really use the word sobriety. I'm just, mm. but I think I think you relate to what I'm about to say. Mm-hmm. Sobriety is a superpower, right? Because mm-hmm. when you're sober and you do not have to reach for anything to deal with your emotions, you are telling yourself, "I can handle this," can right? Handle and if anything. you can. And if you can handle pain and discomfort, you can literally handle anything, right? Yeah. It's the, we know you can handle like the, the bright and shiny, but it's the, if you can't, but like, here's the thing. If you can't handle the painful, the uncomfortable, you're never going to fully experience success. You're never going to fully experience fulfillment and happiness, right? You're limited on both ends, exactly. on both sides of the coin. Yeah. So last, lastly, Ruby, I want to ask you this, um, any words of strength, courage, and hope for my audience who is considering letting go of alcohol? I think you just said it. It's like people have so much fear around this. And I think I would just like to say that you're only going to become more confident. You're only going to become more self-assured. You're only going to become more yourself when you decide to quit drinking. When you, if you have the, if you have the, the, the luxury, the privilege to get to choose to make that decision before it drags you to your knees and takes away everything that you have, then awesome. But you give it, give yourself this gift, you know, give yourself this gift of really, of really coming to know who you are and you will discover that you are invincible. 
That was beautiful. Thank you so much, Ruby, for being here. I can't wait for my all my listeners to get their hands on your book. And I know that you're, you know, if people want to go ahead and follow you, they can find you on Instagram at Ruby mm-hmm. Warrington. At Ruby Warrington, indeed. Ru- okay. <laughs> Thank you so much, Ruby, for being here. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening to the Being Human with Vasavi podcast. For even more inspiration and motivation to be the person you were born to be, grab my free guide on the 10 must-have habits of ultra-confident women over at vasavikumar.com forward slash guide. If you got some golden nuggets from today's episode, which I have no doubt you did, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast and leave a heartfelt review. And remember, when you know yourself, you can be, do, and have anything you want. If you love today's episode, then say it out loud. Subscribe, leave a review, and come say hi over on Instagram at my name is Vasavi. Until next time, say it out loud.